Hello, this is Tom Williams, and you are listening to Talk Theater in Chicago's Interview Podcast. Uh, every once in a while, we run across uh, a little theater company that's, that starts quietly developing a wonderful body of work, and that's the case with Idle Muse Theater Company. And welcome their artistic director, Evan Jackson, who is also the director of one of their terrific plays, one of those summer sleepers that everyone ought to go see, and that's The Lion in the Winter. Hello, Evan. Hey, Tom. How you doing? Great. Tell us why and how you had the chutzpah to put Lion in the Winter together, particularly after Writers Theater only a couple of years ago did an awesome job on the play. Well, uh, it, it, in a lot of ways, it kind of seemed like the right play at uh, the right time. Uh, there was sort of a practical end to it. Uh, our company, uh, we've been working for, um, we've been going on about eight years now, but I think really in the past four years or so, we've really started uh, as a group sort of working together as a consistent group of the same artists kind of um, regularly. And uh, The Lion in Winter is kind of one of those plays that uh, a lot of people sort of have in their in their in their back pocket is something that they hope they get to at some point in their career so sort of a long time favorite uh, if they ever find the opportunity to do it um, and that was definitely the case with a lot of the artists who have been working on it for the past couple of months um, so I think we kind of reached a point as a company where when we we're trying to look at what we were going to do this summer um, we kind of realized hey we do kind of have all the pieces here we have the sort of the right group of people who are um, you know the right people for this project and the right people who are passionate about this project so why don't we kind of leap in with both feet? So there was kind of a practical end to it. Um, and then also it just seemed like it was a very uh, you know, relevant play uh, at this point in time, too. As you probably know, uh, the text was originally written in the 1960s, which was an extremely uh, politically polarized time in America. Um, it kind of paints the state as a sort of uh, dysfunctional family. Um, and a lot of that kind of gets, you know, the political message uh, gets kind of heavily overwhelmed by the family drama out there. And the dysfunctional family isn't really, um, you know, a groundbreaking idea as it was uh, in, in the 1960s um, when people were kind of awaking, uh, waking up in the American dream. Um, but I think uh, uh, I think that's kind of what we viewed as actually an opportunity because people from my generation tend to view the, you know, everybody's family is a little bit dysfunctional. So I think the idea we had was, um, you know, how much deeper could we take this story and the and these roles, if that if the dysfunctional family is our starting point rather than the sort of goal or the idea that we're trying to communicate, um, so it just sort of seemed kind of perfectly um, suited to get a really sort of honest, uh, really sort of deep dive, um, you know, sort of human uh, take on you know what has traditionally been seen as sort of grandiose costume drama, and it just sort of seemed like the right play for a for a, a fringe theater or, or storefront theater interpretation. Yeah, and uh, but you gave it a, a you gave it a, a big set feel in the intimate uh, side project uh, space. Uh, I, I thought the uh, the set was terrific. Tell us how that emerged. Uh, well, an idea that's kind of been associated with Idle Muse through some of our past or our more recent productions has been the idea of the sort of jewel box production, which is sort of this idea of taking these larger than life worlds and um, and sort of transforming a small space uh, in, in such a way. That it, that world sort of comes to life in a, a very much, you know, a large world with a lot of, um, you know, small locations, uh, can come to life in a very, you know, finite space. 
Um, and, you know, some of that's done through the magic of theater and some of that is done through, you know, the disposition of actors on stage. And it's an idea that we've sort of, uh, that's been associated with us in some of our press lately and our audience seems to really like about us. So we've definitely gotten excited about that idea. The set itself was designed by Dennis May, uh, who's a longtime collaborator of Idle Muse. Um, and we kind of, we have a habit of bringing these sort of impossible <laughs> challenges to him where we say, okay, we want to take these these massive worlds and we want to portray them in a space that's about, you know, 13 feet by 19 feet. Um, so I think uh, conceptually, uh, you know, the, the way the jewel box works is you tend to, to, to pick a single large image to transform the space into. So it becomes a sort of single physical environment um, that is a little bit, you know, uh, I'm going to say sort of generalized or has a lot of the feeling of a, of a particular time and place like the medieval castle Chino. Uh, but then there's, Smaller components like the window panels, um, which are used. Yeah, those uh, stained glass window panels are neat. And the and the way you you angled the tapestries gave an mm-hmm. effect, uh, kind of a three dimensional effect that made the stage look deeper and longer than it, than it really is. And and that's a lot I think about what Dennis goes for. He tries to find sort of little modular, simple components that can be moved or sort of switch, you know, quickly adjusted. So that one space can transform into another one very quickly and very easily and creates a sort of sense of movement. And if you create the right stage movement around those transitions, um, I think that that's where the sense that a, a, a very larger-than-life world can sort of start breathing and, and growing out of a very small, very tiny physical space. Yeah, and and then uh, the costumes. Uh, you went for period costumes, which I thought was a good idea. Yeah, um Definitely, I think that's something that goes along with that idea of the jewel box production. So, I mean, it is definitely a fringe theater or a storefront uh, environment, but we find that it's a lot easier to sort of... We try and create a lot of small environments within a a larger general environment. So the the choice of a very specific prop or a very specific costume, I think, helps create, you know, along with that movement, that sense that you are going to a different time or a different place. Um, and that is something I think, you know, our audience has been excited about in the past. So it's something we, we generally keep, um, I keep going after. Well, you are, you are to be congratulated on that because very few people can, can create the atmosphere that you created for a, for an, a big idea play like this in a small space. So that, that right away, you know, the first minute or two when you, when you're into the play, you say, wow, this, there's something here. And then the actors start, start going. Tell us about some of your decisions in, on uh, on casting, because uh, I got to say I think this was pretty much of a perfectly cast play, including one of your one the young lady who played Eleanor, who was much too young for the role, but she made it work. Well, I'm actually very glad you brought that up because yeah. I mean. I, as a director, um, I'm very much standing on the shoulders of giants in terms of, uh, you know, the team I got to work with for this production. And, um, and yeah, absolutely was very excited to work with, with all of this group. Um, largely the group is, uh, are people who have worked with Idle Muse in the past or who people we would consider part of the ensemble. Um, so they're definitely part of that group who the play was chosen, I think, because we, we felt like we had them already rather than we had to go hunting for them. Um, in terms of the choice for Elizabeth McDougall to play the role, of Eleanor, um, a, we are sort of a, you know, a, like I said, in a, a fringe theater environment. And, uh, I, I definitely thought about it because I knew people would question it. I knew people would, 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 would think it was an interesting choice. Um, but it, it never seemed like a huge obstacle to me. I think, you know, Idle Muse, um, as a company, 
you know, if you view the, the, the craft of act, acting or the discipline in, in purest form, you know, the actor doesn't try to transform into somebody else. The actor is trying to find the part of himself that, that is that role. So, I mean, in its purest form, um, if you sort of believe in, in, in the craft of acting or theater as sort of a way of life, um, any actor could play any role, age, uh, race, creed, color, sex, all I of that. I agree with you, but fundamentally some, shouldn't matter. But matter. sometimes on a subconscious level, they kind of give away that, you know, they're too old for the role or they're too young for the role. But I, I, I thought Elizabeth did, did a terrific job, particularly the way she had to stand up to the, to the, uh, formidable Henry that you have. Tell us about him. Dave, uh, Dave is, uh, actually kind of a new addition to the Idol News family, and you're right, he, he is a formidable <laughs> force on stage uh, to be reckoned with. He was, um, he kind of, uh, joined the project as part of a recommendation. He, he came to the auditions, uh, he was recommended to us by our friends over at Lifeline Theater. Yeah, he does a lot of stuff at Lifeline, he plays villains at Lifeline a lot. Yeah, yeah and he, he, he's, uh, he's probably the most experienced member of, of the team. He's, uh, definitely, he's been, you know, a, a very formidable, uh, long-time presence in Chicago theater, and he's really, truly fantastic to work with. Um, like, as he said, he kind of plays these sort of, uh, you know, larger-than-life roles. He's sort of, you know, gregarious, you know. Well, he's a, he's a big, imposing character. He absolutely is, and but uh, once you get to know him, he, he's really a generous actor. He, he's somebody who definitely gives everybody the room they need to have their own process. Uh, so he really fit, he fit in quite quickly with, you know, what was a, what has been a long time established team. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's kind of the way we do like the work. We tend to view the rehearsal process as sort of a workshop where we're all going to kind of explore this text together, um, where we're going to give each other the room to, to make mistakes and support each other. You know, that's why we're there to, to, to get to the answers. And, and, and I think the, the, the net result of that is, you know, kind of what you see on stage today is, um, you do sort of find the honesty in these sort of larger-than-life tales, um, and that's something that you know our press has kind of um, latched onto, and something that we're very proud of as well. And I think that's sort of what we kind of go after. It's sort of an idle muse style or a way of doing things. Um, that's kind of I think what we get excited about, and I think uh, Dave really fit very quickly right into that process. Well, let me add something to the uh, the uh, the dialect coach uh, did a terrific job. The accents were were real uh and they were yet they were very understandable and that's a that's a fine line i've seen shows where they either they start out with an english accent and end up with american hillbilly uh <laughs> and and mumbling to the point where you don't have any clue what they're saying but but you sure. guys nailed it this this was a very articulate show well thanks very much uh kathy lojlin was that was the dialect coach uh for the production um and and you know this is a play that's sometimes taken a lot of different directions dialect-wise. Um, it, it's sometimes, because, you know, it's an American-written play, sometimes it's done with no dialect at all, and if you want to go 100% historically accurate, all of these characters would be speaking French. Yeah. Um, so so you have to make decisions, and they're not always 100% clear. Um, so we made the ones that we thought were best or would, would tell the story most effectively. And uh, Kathy was right there, I think, from day one, uh, supporting us through that because like like you say it, that's a it's a big challenge especially for companies without a lot of resources to try and tackle um tackle dialect and, and make it their own and then still tell that story effectively and get into those characters and convey those characters from that position so uh 
lots of credit to the cast and the, you know, for, for working extremely hard on that from day one, and also especially to Kathy Logelin, who um, who's a you know a Chicago actor and a dialect coach, uh, who, who walked us from day one through that process. And that certainly added a lot to it. And again, it it, it shows the uh, oh, you guys are willing to take chances because it was tough to do. You had you had uh, the one young lady with a sort of a French accent, and she was you know born in France but raised with the right. English, so that was consistent. And then your your uh, your King Philip would obviously, who's French, the French king would have a stronger accent. So that yeah, and, that played off well. Indeed, uh, well, yeah, like we were very excited uh, to get an opportunity to work with somebody who was as skilled as that. And yeah, I'm very proud of the work that Cass did in that in that area. Yeah, they and and the next thing is, and I think you alluded it to it earlier about uh, everybody given space. This is a play of a lot of debates and a lot of one-upmanship and it would be easy for one actor to upstage another and and you know kind of dominate the role but you kept the balance there so that that uh let's say henry's ideas and what he's doing and then what eleanor is plotting against him to do kind of evened out or or one had an advantage and then and then a little later the next one had the advantage and it really worked well well, you know, I, uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that because that was definitely something we had to put a lot of work into, too. I mean, uh, as I said, the, we have a sort of a workshop environment where the cast is very adept at giving each other the space they need to sort of fully have their own processes. But this particular play, it, it's kind of a beast. It's, um, you know, it goes on about 100 pages uh, compared to when we did Sherlock, which was, I think, was in the 60s. Um, and then Dracula was, I think, in the 70s or the 80s. And I'm so sure that a- 100 pages are... are, are- Line the line full of words too, right? Exactly, yeah. right. And, and and big ideas, like yeah. you were saying, you know. So when we sort of did that sort of deep dive character work early on, and really tried to keep that through line as taut as possible, and keep you know the action as taut as possible, the first time we tried to put it together, we ended up with a play that was over three hours long. So uh, we actually, in addition to sort of focusing on all the things that we normally focus, we we've had to keep um, we've had to keep a strong focus on um, on pace as well yeah and, and you, you know? did that terrific including all the scene changes were snappy and 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 fast and needed i you know we hate blackouts when we go to theater especially when they're moving a chair or a table two feet you and me you know, both, yeah. yeah leave it you know leave it where it's at or let them drag it while while they're talking but uh you guys had to create different different scenes which worked really well and were kind of written right into the text there, too. I mean, because a lot of these scenes are supposed to end almost episodically. You know, a character yeah. collapses onto the floor and the lights fade down slowly on them. You know, so they're definitely, between that and the, the stuff that has to get moved around on stage to create a different environment. You know what we ought to do? I was just thinking, uh, for those who, who aren't familiar with Lion in the Winter, give, a, give us a real quick snapshot of what it's really about. Uh, well, the, the Lion in Winter is kind of a... Um, it's a, a last meeting between King Henry II and Eleanor of Aquitaine, who are sort of a legendary king and queen of England. And their, their three sons, uh, Richard, who will become Richard the Lionheart, uh, John, who is known as Prince John, uh, you know, from the Robin Hood story, who will become mm-hmm. King John, and also uh, Jeffrey, who's kind of known as sort of the, the brain of the family. Um, and then there's also two others. There's the French King Philip and uh, his his sister uh, Alay, who is actually the lover of of King Henry. Um, if that's convoluted enough for you, um, but it, it's um, the the previous crown prince has passed away. His name was also Henry, and King Eleanor and Queen I'm sorry, King Henry and Queen Eleanor are kind of uh, in a battle of wits 
um, and and uh, machinations over who is going to take who is going to be named the heir to the throne. So really, the story uh, is about who's going to be the next um, the next king. That was before the English established of of the absolute uh, pecking order of who who takes over. I, I know later they did that. Yeah, and, and particularly in Henry's time too, there was sort of Henry was one of the one of the Angevin kings, and, and there was a, a tradition um, where where the king would be named in the next king would be named in the current king's lifetime. So this is actually sort of a very real scenario that could have happened. And in fact, you know, in, in history, Richard II did become king because he and his brothers eventually did rise up against their father and sort of take what was you know as they thought their due. Yeah, and and this was this was. Uh... Actually, screenwriter uh, James Goldman's uh, terrific writing. I mean, this this play is this. You guys made it so um, believable and, like I said, articulate that it grabs you right away and you follow it. And this is a complicated play. You know, sometimes the plays, just the style of how they're presenting the dialogue bores you, and you start start thinking about doing your laundry or something. <laughs> this play grabbed you. And all the way through the two and a half hours, we were just so intrigued in trying to figure out who was going to end up king and who was going to end up, you know, dominant in all these little battles of wits. Well, you can begin to see, I think, why why it's uh, it's been a long time favorite of I think all the people who've been working on it because there's there's just so much going on in it that's interesting and and accessible too. And I, I'm really pleased that that that's, that that's sort of the reaction you had to it because. Um, you know, it is a challenge to, to work with material like that because there is so much going in on it. So, uh, very grateful to you for saying so. Well, you got Jeff recommended, and that says a lot because the Jeff Committee, in in my view, they do a great job. But sometimes they can be a little tough on non-equity uh, shows. Uh, we've been very fortunate in sort of our brief career. We, we've, uh, for the three shows that we have been eligible, two of which we, we've been Jeff recommended for, and we did get a nomination for, for Sherlock as well. Um, but uh, I, I do think you're right. I think uh, last year around this time when we were nominated for Sherlock, uh, when we were recommended for Sherlock, I think there was six or seven shows that were um, that were currently recommended. And this year there were only two others uh, at this time. So um, they do seem to be getting a bit more selective. And again, it's, we count ourselves extremely, you know, grateful that we were among the ones. Well, chosen. it's a testimony to the to work you guys are doing. And so tell us, give us a little commercial now uh, for. This show, a commercial for this show. Yeah, where are uh, you at? You know, you're at Side oh, Project. Uh, sure. Days yeah. Well, we are performing at the Side Project uh, through September 11th, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays. Uh, Sundays are matinee performances. Um, the show has been Jeff recommended, and we're, we're extremely excited about it. Uh, and I think it, I think it's a sort of a an emblematic of what an Idle Muse production is. It's a it's sort of a jewel box production that will take you to a different time and place. Um, and it's uh, it's exciting. Um, yeah, and at a at a time in the summer when a lot when a lot of the plays have closed and uh, the new season in September is just starting, uh, you, you you guys have probably the best show going in Chicago at this time. <laughs> very so your say. timing was great. Uh, well, we're we're definitely very pleased and excited with, with the success it's been having, and you're, again, you're very kind to say so. Well, I go back to your last year to the Sherlock Holmes to Final Adventure. I really like that show. You talk about t- it's tough a show to do a Sherlock Holmes mystery again on your small little intimate stage, but you guys pulled it off. 
Yeah, well, and, and again, that's kind of the project that we are, we're getting excited about lately uh, as well, too. I mean, I wouldn't say that Idle Muse is going to, you know, we're going to pigeonhole ourselves to doing only sort of fantastic or sort of genre pieces. Um, but it's definitely something that, that uh, our audience has been responding to, and, and the, the sort of people who are in the company seem to get excited by that idea as well, too. So, um, you know, it's kind of, you know, it goes back to the whole concept of the magic of theater. It's, a lot of us got into it so that we could be transported to different places and, and you know, feel like, you know, heroic or villainous characters, that sort of thing. So it's kind of the most fun parts of theater, I think. Yeah, in, in looking at your, uh, your notes, uh, I noticed a term, that I, I think I know what it means, but I'd like you to explain it to people. That Idle Muse has the uh, ensemble system. What is an ensemble system? Well, I, that goes back to sort of our approach to theater um, and, and kind of what I was saying about the way we, we approach um, shows in, in rehearsal uh, and sort of as a philosophy of a company. Um, We've gotten to a place now, uh, I and mean, like I said, we've been around for about eight years or so, and we kind of started like most theater companies, uh, most, most storefront theater companies, do, kind of as a result of not finding a lot of opportunity um, for new artists and, and trying to create our own. So we're not sort of unique in that sense. But uh, in, the, in the past few years, we've started really working consistently with a lot of the same group of artists uh, and individuals. Um, so uh, we are sort of a body of the same artists that are repeating a way or developing a method of working together consistently. And that's, I think, what we would call the ensemble in that. Um, and, and you can start to see that benefit where I think, you know, as I was saying, in, in sort of workshop environment, we've got these, we've been able to give each other the room to have a process and have a consistent process or a set of tools that we all work with uh, consistently, which, you know, there's a lot of sort of advantage and benefit that saves you a lot of time and um Gives you a sort of body, a language um, that you can refer to when you're approaching a different uh, production problem or, or something like that. Yeah, so, and you get a. It seems to me when you have the same people in many shows, which is a you know mm-hmm. a Eastern European idea, they still do that, and you, you know the where they all they even live together. And mm-hmm. uh, we've seen works from Ireland come here where they're the same ensemble they've been doing four or five plays for years. But the trust factor among the actors. Uh, when they really get to know one another, it, 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 I think it's starting to show in your productions. It, it's such a terrific dynamic. No, we think so too. Uh, and I, you know, and, and in addition to that, there's you know the opportunity to take ownership for it then as well too. You know, to, to feel to have a stake in the in the company and the productions themselves as well. Um, so there's that also going on as well, uh, which. I, you know, it's a very exciting time in the company to sort of be achieving or getting to that stage. Yeah, and I think more theater companies ought to think about, you know, going the ensemble route because I think it pays off. I think that's one of the one of the hidden gems, and I think you're the other one. Uh, your 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 concept and your leadership. I think it takes a strong ensemble and a and a strong leader, and I think your company has both. Well, thanks very much. It's it's, uh, it's like I said, it's very much an an, an exciting time, and I uh, you know the Like I said, it, I think it's, it's it's an opportunity or a time in, in our company when we're definitely sort of evolving into it. And um, well, that's terrific. Uh, tell us now, what are some of your future plans? Well, uh, we're still kind of working on uh, the final decisions on what our season is uh, coming up. We're definitely going to be working at the side project this coming season again. Um, we're bringing a new director to the stage, Tristan Brandon, who's been a longtime member of Bible News. He's a he's a board member and a literary director. Uh, so it'll be his first time sort of in a director's chair. Um, 
again, we're not quite ready to announce, you know, what those productions are going to be yet, but I think that people who are fans of our sort of style of doing, uh, you know, working together as an ensemble and... More uh, classically doing, oriented versus newer work or what? Well, uh, again, I think we're still kind of in the, in the process of figuring that out. Um, but I think that people who are excited, who have been excited by the sort of jewel box production idea, um, won't be disappointed, um, cause it is definitely something that we, we get excited about and that I think we keep doing. Um, so, uh, again, it's a time when we're kind of figuring that stuff out and in a state of, you know, evolving and, and bringing, you know, new work and new ideas into okay. the company. We'll, we'll wait and I'm sure it'll, it'll be decent because, you guys are on my list, and you, and I can tell you one of the ways uh, us as reviewers, uh, obviously we go to all the big stuff, but when you start going to the smaller theaters, you start betting on the theater company. And, and you know, if Line in the Winter was done by some companies in Chicago, I probably would have passed. But once I saw, oh, you guys are doing it, oh, yeah, their last couple of shows were terrific. And, and that's a good place to be. Yeah, it, it's been... <laughs> I keep using this word over and over again. It's very, it's been very exciting. It's, it's, uh, it's, we've been very happy and we, we count ourselves very fortunate to have caught the attention that we have and, uh, we hope to keep capitalizing on it, uh, as we continue to move forward. Let's, uh, let's talk about your background now. What, what got you into the, the crazy business of, of directing and running a theater company? Tough job. Um, yeah, um, I kind of came to theater later in life, uh, later than a lot of uh, my colleagues did. Um, uh, I went to a smaller uh, school for undergraduates. I went to Lake Forest College, and there was a um, there was a small theater program there. In fact, it didn't even have a major. There was only a minor available at the time. It's changed and grown since then. Um, but what it meant for me was somebody who never actually tried it out actually had the opportunity to sort of try theater out. It was something I had a lot of friends who did in high school, but uh, never got really the opportunity to try it out myself. So. Uh, kind of on a whim, I, I auditioned for a production of Much Ado About Nothing. Uh, the role I got was Boy, which had two lines, one consisting entirely of the word senior. Um, <laughs> but I got to do sort of a little improvisational bit in it. And I kind of, from there, uh, as I, as I was a student at Lake Forest, I sort of tried everything I could. And directing for me, I think, was the, the piece that I actually, uh, latched onto the most. Um, so when I when I graduated, um, because it was a smaller program and because I came sort of late in life, later than a lot of uh, my friends and colleagues had to theater, uh, I felt like I needed some more some more training. So um, I went to uh, the theater school at Paul University here in Chicago, um, which was uh, an amazing experience. It was an opportunity to focus on nothing but theater uh, for three years straight, and you know, with some of the best teachers uh, in the community. Um, so I, I kind of came a little bit late, and then getting into the business of doing it was, as I said before, really a it was really a matter of not finding the opportunity I was kind of hoping to find when I got out. When I went into school, theater was kind of booming in Chicago, but while I was there, 9/11 happened, and um, you know the the market for directors when I graduated, which was always kind of you know small, you know, not a lot of companies are you know jumping at the opportunity to, to take on untried directors. Um, that market seemed even more of like in a survival mode. Um, so, uh, really getting into the business of producing plays was, was almost a necessity if I wanted to keep directing. And for me, directing, um, it was, uh, when I do other things in my life, a lot of times I feel like I'm watching myself from the outside. But when I direct or when I'm involved in the theater, I tend to feel more like I'm living entirely in a moment. Um, so in order to keep doing that and keep feeling that way, um, it, like a lot of companies, uh, a lot of storefront companies, um, myself and a lot of other people felt like we had to start creating our own opportunities. 
Well, and and what a great town to do that in. There's so many uh, in the 11 years I've been reviewing those. I've seen the growth and the uh, so many people coming here from out of town, whole groups of people from different parts of the country, and people like yourselves that are homegrown. But you know, there's couldn't get a gig. Start doing your own, and guess what? You did it. And and that, that's what Chicago theater is about. And you, you guys are certainly exemplary in that area. And I often wonder, too, like what life would be like if I hadn't grown up in Chicago. Uh, you know, if I wasn't in a community where that sort of um, that, that didn't foster that kind of a spirit and growth. So I, I count myself, again, extremely fortunate to have, uh, you know, to have had my life gone take the path it did. Uh, do you have any aspirations for being an actor again or, or is directing where you want to be? <laughs> I do enjoy acting a lot. I haven't I haven't done it in a long time, and sometimes I sort of toy with the idea of getting back on stage. Um, it, it's it's definitely a challenge. I mean, it's keeping keeping the energy and the motivation up to keep sort of you know being a director can be challenging sometimes. I, how much more so to do it you know several times a night and actually be out on stage in front of people. Um, so I have I, I love actors to death. I have I have nothing but respect for the profession. I, I don't know if it's a place that I can easily get back to again, personally, uh, myself. Um, plus, I'm also just sort of a, you know, I'm an analytical personality. I am a director for a personality. I, I find it hard to act without watching myself from the outside, which is, you know, you know, I envy actors who can be live entirely in a moment on stage because that's, it's a gift and it's, it's a talent that you know, takes years and years to, to, to develop and foster. And it's something I've been away from, from sort of a, for sort of a, a rather a long time now at this point, I think. All right. Is the last question. Is there a play that is just eating at you that you've got to direct in the future, no matter what it is? Wow. Um, there's a, you know, I have a list of some mile long of plays I'd like to. All right. If like you were to, to wake up, if I were to wake you up in the middle of the night and say, what play do you, you want to do? What would come out? Probably the first thing that would come out would be the Winter's Tale, which would be another winter play. Um, in, in the, you know, in the storefront theater scene, it, it, doing Shakespeare plays and some of those older ones are, it, there are, they're always challenging to produce in any venue. Um, but it, they're even more so in, in the space that we work in. Um, and The Winter's Tale is, uh, sort of a story of sadness and redemption and, you know, the, the cycles of life and all, sort of all the good stuff, um, that you, you know, you hope a great story will have. Um, and it's one I've kind of had my eye on for a while. Um, well, Shakespeare I, did it a number of years ago. Chicago Shakes did a great job on that. But, yeah, but it's it's due to be done. That's a good choice. Yeah, and so off the top of my head, if you woke me up in the middle of the night, that would okay. be probably the first one that would pop to mind. But uh, Give us one more. One more. Um, hmm. Any musicals or com- comedy farce? No, I, I, I actually have no musical background at all. So okay. uh, I'm pretty much a, a straight drama um, or, or comedy uh, director, though I think uh, given the plays that I've chosen in my career, a lot of my, my colleagues would probably say that if it was, nobody dies in the play, it's not a play Evan would do. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm actually starting to look at some of the smaller plays right now, too, two-handers and one-handers, so I'm kind of just starting to scratch the surface. One that I'm considering um, for down the road would be one called The Monument by Colleen Wagner, uh, which is a play about uh, genocide, again, sort of a cheery piece. <laughs> Um, and also, uh, you know, there's a young playwright in town. His name is, uh, Randall Colburn, who I've been talking to, uh, recently about possibly doing some work together between, uh, Idle News and, and, and one of his plays. Um, he's been, uh, doing a lot of good stuff around town lately, and I think he's working with the Writers Theater pretty heavily right now as well. Yes, yes, yeah. He's um, a talent. 
Yeah, so I think he, you know, I think there's a good chance he's going to be the next big thing uh, in Chicago playwriting. Um, and he's, he's a great guy. We, we, we've met a few times. Grab him now on the way up. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so he, you know, he's somebody who's sort of on my, you know, my, my future radar as well, too. If I, if well, I great. Ask me off the top of my head. Keep up the good work because you guys in Storefront Theater is, is, is where theater in Chicago is really happening. And uh, folks, go see. Lion in the Winter. These guys have done such a good job. It's definitely worth it. And for 20 bucks, you can't get a better night of entertainment. So, folks, thanks for listening, and go see a play this week. Mm-hmm.